The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, some of the texts about Trump and so on. Uh, sorry, Pat, but you're dealing with a cult that has Trump as the leader. It doesn't matter what body of evidence you present to them. They will still see a conspiracy against their glorious leader. You're wasting your time trying to reason with them. That's from uh, Ray, who's listening in Limerick. Another one says Hillary Clinton did the same thing. She denied the 2016 election. Look on YouTube. Well, I don't know whether she did or not, and I'm happy to look on YouTube, but she walked away then. Didn't uh, kind of keep on fighting the damn thing for years and years and years. Uh, I totally agree with that last texter on Trump. I love the show and therefore I love you, but it's a form of bias you're displaying towards Trump, unfortunately. You listed out all the cases against Trump, but they're flimsy at best. My God, flimsy at best. I mean, if you saw the carry-on of that man on January the 6th, you, you'd you have to actually fundamentally maybe even question his sanity. I don't know, he's sitting there watching events unfold and will not lift a finger to bring in the National Guard. I mean, it's a shocking carry-on by a man who uh, claims to respect the Constitution. Uh, But this texture goes on. The idea of preventing anyone from running as president over any of these cases is troublesome, regardless of your political persuasion. Nobody is preventing him from running. The speculation he could even run from behind bars. They could keep on running and uh, he could get elected and run his administration from the prison. How can anyone complain about bias against Trump? He who has had the entire Fox News network spewing out his propaganda and numerous other cowardly news outlets in the US. No complaint about bias there from your disappointed text critic, uh, so says Phil. Now, Andrea Gilligan has popped in to tell us about Lunchtime Live. Yeah, listeners calls Pat for um, safe zones around schools. And what we mean by that is people are looking for reduced speed limits in areas of schools around the country. Doesn't um, seem like a bad idea. No, I mean, you know, you'd you'd wonder uh, what the opposition to it might be. So I'll hear listeners' calls uh, for that on the show, 87 106 You know, in America, uh, the school buses, the yellow school mm. buses, it's a grievous motoring offence to overtake one of those when it's disgorging its uh, children. Kids, You've got to yeah. wait till it's done its business and then trundles on, and then when it's out of the zone, you can overtake it. But um, that's the way they do their business. It raises the question, I think last year we we heard calls from some quarters um, for there to be really no car drop-off areas within some schools and I, I'm sure there'll be people who'll get in touch too about that today. You know, that people will have to park at a certain area, X number of metres away, and then walk up so that there would be no cars within the close proximity of the school gates. So whose gateway do you block when you're dropping off your kids? Well, you can imagine that, yeah. That's the other question. I believe your team is challenging you, Andrea. I'm on a no-spend ban for a week. Within reason is the the caveat to it. Basically, look, uh, finance... What does that mean, no-spend ban? I can't spend any money. Uh, No card, no flashing of the card. No tapping, which is my biggest issue. So for instance, so basically the challenge is that, like we all have money in our mind at the moment and finances and cost of living, we're constantly hearing about it with the budget next Tuesday. So with all of that in mind, I can't spend money for a week. Um, That's that's random expenditure. You couldn't buy a magazine in a shop, can't buy a coffee. Pat, I couldn't go for breakfast this morning. As you know, when I'm out doing Ireland AM, I come in early on a Tuesday morning. You're famished. Yeah, and I usually nip out then. I'll get a nice little coffee or something for myself. Um, Couldn't do any of that today. As you saw, I was sitting across from you (laughs) eating 
eating yeah. yogurt at breakfast this yeah, morning. I, I um, saw you brought in two yogurts and a Tupperware type container yeah, containing loads, salad. loads of stuff. Yeah, chicken salad that I roast chicken I made on Sunday actually as well. So like I'm great for well I'm not great. It's probably a bad habit. I kind of tend to shop every two or three days and I'll buy bits and buy stuff as I need it. And I might yeah. decide you know on the way home today what I'm going to have for dinner and then I'll buy that and make that. So I went and did a shop on Sunday and that's it. There can be nothing else, anything. If I use it, I have to, you know, come up with something from the press or the fridge and the freezer. And it's just to try and basically not spend. It's cutting out the coffee, which I like mm. as a little afternoon treat. Um, for instance, where I made a big mistake, I should have checked my Leap card on Sunday night. So I've realised there today, I've just less than a fiver on the Leap card, which will so probably have to walk, get me. Basically. Yeah, well, I would walk always in and out. But the odd day I might get the bus home if I was, you know, if I was late in the morning, I get the bus in. I would use Dublin bus an awful lot. But like I basically basically have maxed now two trips this week on the bus. So, I mean, What's it's, the weather forecast like? Well, thankfully, I think we're in for this belated uh, heat wave, aren't we, the weekend. <laughs> but aside from that, as you know, we have the radio awards on Friday night, which would usually mean this week I am dress shopping. I'm looking at my nails that are now nicely chipped, so we'll not look too closely. But all of these things that I would typically tend to do in the lead up to the radio awards are now not going to happen. So this you're going to have to do your own hair. My own hair, yes, and makeup. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to make sure I'm sitting I'm, I'm going to have you. to do the same myself. Yeah. I'm going to have to do my, and my nails. Sure I'm going to have to do the whole damn thing. The card, because bubbles will be on you. Anyway, you're going to be au naturel. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to, well, I mean, I'm going to wear hair, you know, do my hair and wear some makeup, but I might just have to do it myself. But I suppose the whole concept is just to try and look at where the unnecessary spend comes from and how frequently we tend to do it. And it's just to tighten my belt. I was listening to Shane Coleman this morning though saying that he believes that this uh, business of people on hard times is a maybe it's a there are people a small fraction of people who are really suffering with inflation Mm. and so on but the airport is jammed with people yeah. heading here, there and yon. Well, uh, funny you say that. Do you know, the, one of the other things we're going to talk about in the show today, people complaining about um, the price to park at, at Dublin Airport. You know, if you're there for a weekend or, or, you know, it's still, it's not just a summer issue. Shane's right about that. I mean, airport's still busy and people are still complaining about the price of parking. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll keep I'll track of your activities. Week, yeah, uh, but you can bring week. me for lunch anyway one of the days. So very we'll good. Sorted out. And thank you very much, Andrea. And lunchtime live coming up in just over a half an hour. Now, more than a year and a half has passed since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and despite the ongoing conflict, recent leaks of Russian defence spending documents indicate that Moscow is gearing up for the possibility of many more years of fighting in Ukraine. And as the West gradually reduces aid to Ukraine. Uh, and this is maybe a proposition from Russia, it raises questions about uh, how Ukraine will manage. Duncan Bullivant, who's CEO of the Henderson Risk Group, former British diplomat, is uh, joining us on the line to talk about, you know, cracks maybe in the NATO alliance. Duncan, good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's talk, first of all, about the implications of the decision uh, last weekend to not shut down the U.S. government, but to uh, sideline the promise to aid Ukraine, at least for the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fairly interesting <laughs> and, and a bit depressing to see U.S. domestic politics playing out like this. Of course, you know, the decisions taken in, in, in Washington are very much at this stage of the game based around what's going to happen next year and and the US, the upcoming US elections. And I think there's a general consensus that you know, if, if Trump becomes the, the Republican nominee, which may happen, that you know, we're, we're, we're moving towards a situation where 
the the, the largesse that, that has been shown by the United States at the moment and the generosity may may be cut back. But that's that's at least a year off from now. I think this this domestic blip in in policy in uh, regarding the U.S. towards Ukraine is is a temporary issue. It'll be overcome. Um, but of course, Russia loves to play on this, and you've seen, you know, the, the you know Robert Fico, who's been asked to former government in Slovakia now, he's he's come out of you know he, his his election campaign was was basically redu- you know cutting all support for for Ukraine and also um, take, lifting sanctions on Russia. So there are there are going to be cracks in in the in the support for Ukraine. I think it's one of the one of the the, the byproducts of of liberal democracies is that people don't necessarily stay on script and and there are these these issues mm. I, and I think the United States issue is significant because the amount of money they're putting in. Now, the, the question of those countries uh, who used to be behind the Iron Curtain. I mean, this guy figure you talk about is a. A reformed communist, if reformed is the right word. I mean, he loves Russia. He always has. So uh, we shouldn't be too surprised. But perhaps we should be surprised that, that the majority of uh, of Slovakians do not blame Russia for the war. No, I think, you know, and, and again, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's very easy for for those of us that sit outside the region to assume that we that we we know the story because we've seen the Netflix documentary and we read everything we we read the 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 accounts of it in in, in the press and therefore by definition there is only one one set of, of of circumstances that that we should all be believing. I think the reality is that you know you you've now got um, Slovakia and you've got Hungary with with Viktor Orbán who have got pro-Russian, strong Russian sympathies. Uh, and both countries, of course, have borders w- w- with Ukraine. Mm. I think that the, the, whether or not that equates into, into the majority, certainly the majority of Hungarians probably remember the, the way in which um, Russia crushed the, the, the uprisings um, when, when, when Russian-controlled you know, communism was, was rejected briefly. And that is, and and Putin has gone out of his way in the last couple of months to actually suggest that that was a mistake. So you're always going to get this issue of Putin courting dissent and seeking yeah. to try and, and split the, the alliance. I, I just find it hard to believe that those countries that were once under the maw of uh, Russia, you know, as part of the Soviet Union, unwillingly so, and who exulted at the fall of the wall, um, that they should be flirting at all with their mortal enemy. Yes, and I think we have to be very careful in assuming uh, that the view of of the average Slovakian and the view of, of the average Hungarian is, is pro-Russian and anti-Ukrainian. I think we, we need to perhaps, you know, be, be a little bit sceptical about some of the... the, 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 the Opinion polls and some of the some of the the the, the polls that are being that are being taken. I, I think you'll you'll probably find that you know if you look at look, look at the election results in Slovakia. I mean, Fico Fico's party only got twenty three percent of the vote. He's going to have to form a coalition. He's going to be forming that coalition probably with the pro Russian Slovak National Party, who only got five point six percent of the vote, and they are pretty hardcore 
ultra nationalist anti anti Ukraine anti NATO um, individuals, and then they're going to have to reach out to to sort of a a, a fairly strong pro Russian socialist group as well to get the majority necessary to form a coalition. This is. You know, I think I think had had Fico's party, you know, won forty percent of 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 the vote, we'd have a very different set of circumstances. So I think I think we need to be a little bit skeptical because you know there's a lot of social media, there's a, there's a lot and there's a lot of placed media pieces at the moment suggesting that these cracks are are appearing. I, based on on my own analysis and talking to people who are in, involved in, in in policy, that's not the case at the moment. But serious questions are being asked in capitals as to how long is this going to go on for, how much more is it going to cost us, and how much capital, political capital, have Western governments got to keep this going in the eyes of the public? That's the real issue here. And um, the, the alternative, you know, that uh, you allow... Uh, Putin to uh, retain what he's got in Ukraine and perhaps even uh, expand into Ukraine. I, I mean, you wouldn't want Russia any closer to your own borders than they are already. Um, do, is it possible that the, the nature of Western democracies, you know, a five-year cycle, um, is it's very difficult for that five-year cycle in all the countries to deal with the eternal dictator that is Putin? Yes, but I think there have been a couple of developments, um, which, which perhaps, if, if if one were looking at this from the Ukrainian perspective, and I think, you know, w- whether or not one is pro-Ukraine or whether one is is pro-peace, you know, th- th- there are a number of arguments that one one can take at the moment. But the fact that the EU foreign ministers have recently met in Kiev sends a very clear signal. That not only is is you know Ukraine now uh, you know in the, is is under the candidate status for membership of the EU, but by actually meeting in in Kiev, it's sending a very clear signal that the EU at least has some degree of unanimity at the stage. Now, obviously, you know, Mr. Mr. Fico and uh, and Mr. Orban have a slightly different view of the world, but the reality is, economically, they are wedded to the EU. And I think that the, you know, if you look at the, the overall figures, I mean, the EU is the single biggest donor in terms of overall. I mean, I think it's something about $83 billion has been provided by the, by the EU, certainly up until the end of, end of July, which, which actually is just above the, the, the United States. So the EU as a bloc right now is, is pretty solid. And that sends a very clear political mm-hmm. signal that they are prepared to stay the course. Obviously, the other issue is NATO, you know, and NATO as an organization, yes, it has issues and there are disagreements within NATO, but NATO has achieved quite a lot over the last few months. And if we look at it in real terms, NATO has recently, in in the last couple of months, has collectively agreed to increase its ammunition stocks and its ammunition production to levels unprecedented in the last 20, 20 years. Now, these decisions take time. But it's happened. So if we're looking at the long haul here, which you know I've always maintained it was going to be a long haul. If we're looking at the long haul, within the next two years, NATO countries and donor countries will outstrip Russia's ability to produce ammunition, will outstrip Russia's ability 
to produce more aircraft and, and, and more armored vehicles, leaving Russia with a conundrum. And Russia's issue is they failed to achieve a quick victory. We all know that. That's, that, that, that. That history has already been written. But the dilemma that Russia faces at the moment now is that whilst the Ukraine isn't exactly racing towards victory, and there is concern as to how long their campaign is, is taking, Russia isn't winning. And, and, you know, it only takes Ukraine probably another couple of months to start, you know, to continue to, to peck away at the, at the Russian front line. They are making some gains in, in the south, you know, but if, 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 if those gains gain momentum, Russia simply doesn't have the, the resource in terms of manpower, equipment and ammunition stocks to really launch an effective um, mm-hmm. counteroffensive. And of course, you know, victory and success tends to tends to then embolden donors and you know in, embolden people to support the Ukraine going forward. But I think that you know this is this is this is going to take another couple of years before it's resolved. And what that end state is is, is up for grabs at the moment. Um, the the question of the sophisticated armaments that are becoming available to Ukraine, uh, the F sixteen training uh, still going on, uh, aircraft not yet deployed, the Abram tanks on the ground, and the promise of maybe medium to long range missiles uh, being delivered by the United States now. All of those things each uh, will have an effect, but all of them together might have quite a significant effect. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you'll see terms like combined arms maneuver operations banded around as if we all know what it means. What it actually means is, is it's, it's the ability to combine your, your aviation, your tanks, your infantry, your artillery and your logistics so that you can actually maneuver on the ground. At, the, at this stage of the game, maneuver warfare, which is what NATO has been preaching and teaching certainly since, certainly since the, 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 the early 70s, maneuver warfare is simply not possible because they haven't achieved it. The Ukrainians simply haven't been able to break through the Russian um, anti-tank defences and and front lines. Slowly, they're doing that. The arrival of the F-16s will will go a long way to providing Ukraine with air superiority, even if it's localised air superiority. In order to manoeuvre successfully on the ground, you've got to be able to dominate the air in which you operate, the area in which you operate from an aviation point of view. Otherwise, you're going to, you're going to get spotted and bombed. There are, so that's going to make a huge difference to Ukrainian morale and ability to operate on the ground. Long-range rocket artillery allows the Ukrainians to seal off areas of operations. It effectively allows you to take out um, Russian uh, uh, artillery and Russian logistics so they can't reinforce when they're trying to provide a local counter, counterattack to, to Ukrainian incursion, and I think as that moves forward, uh, and as that and as that, 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 that those equipments arrive on the ground, you'll you'll see greater um, Ukrainian success. But it's still months away yet. Uh, the final question is about uh, the supply of um, men to the front line by Russia. We hear stories of you know countless thousands of young tech professionals getting out of Russia uh, by the back door or the front door. Um, the enthusiasm for going to the Ukrainian battlefield might not be high. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, I, I've just got back, I was in Belgrade the other day, and it is striking the number of young, 
professional Russians who are currently residing in in in, in the capital of Serbia. It's 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 you know that you can hear them on the street. I think the you know. One of the things that one of the red lines for Putin is 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 general mobilization. And he's got there are two issues there. One is demographically, the generation that are fighting this war, it, it, it's it, it's limited, you know, and both sides have got limited access to fresh manpower. Um, Putin, you know, signing a general mobilization order that would probably be extremely unpopular politically and he's got to balance his ability to control the nation against w- winning decisively uh, in 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 ukraine i mean if he's on the verge of losing the crimea for example he may well choose to go down that road it's the lesser of two evils but what we've seen happen in in russia in the last few months is that aping the the wagner setup and wagner seems to be on the verge of being reintegrated back into the front line you're seeing the creation of other private military companies. Each each large state entity, like the armaments industry, the space the space industry, the power industry, are producing their own, like you know, rather like sort of company football teams. They're producing their own private military companies, all of which are set to go and join join the fight. So it's an extraordinary thing that we're seeing. I mean, obviously, the United States have been have have you know led the way in terms of the use of private military companies, but not as frontline troops. And and those frontline troops at this stage of the game, I hate to say, are pretty much cannon fodder. This is a very much a conflict where artillery is 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 key. Even now the Ukrainians are expending something like two to three thousand sh- ammunition shells per day. So, you know, these guys are getting put on the front line with minimal training, limited equipment, and, and the attrition rate is very, very high. But this is this seems to be a trend that's, that's growing in Russia at the moment. Duncan Bullivant, CEO of the Henderson Risk Group and former British diplomat, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.